Hi guys, this is a preface or a prelude or whatever you want to call it to the rest of the podcast. As a white boy, I have to be very careful about how I talk about black cultures or Africa or anything like that. And I want to make sure everybody knows. My views on Africa are that it's a continent like many other continents in this world with countries that range from mostly first world. Uh, you know, I, I refer to a lot of, well, I, I mean, I think a couple of countries are first world, uh, but there are a lot of countries in Africa have essentially what we would call in the ancient world city-states that are first world, uh, with a lot of villages that range anywhere from second to third world. That's not bad. That's not terrible. That's not wrong. Uh, Just, and I make comparisons with villages and in white countries. Uh, Oh God, especially in like Germany. Well, I don't mention Germany and Britain, but there are still villages in Germany and Britain and Ireland that you could describe as second uh, or even borderline third world. And that's because sometimes people like quiet things. Sometimes people like quiet lives. And that's also true in Africa. Um, there's a lot of information I'm not giving out because the podcast is already an hour. Uh, I talk about Africa's warring period. And a lot of warring continues to this day. But I also stress that that's not the whole of Africa. It really isn't. Africa's a giant fucking country. There's a lot of wonderful advancement. There's a lot of peace in Africa. And then there's a lot of war. I mean, it's like when my foreign friends saw some of the protests, they said, are you okay? It looks like America's falling apart. No, America's not falling apart. You know, and I even knew that the June 6th, or not June 6th, January 6th insurrection was not the end of America because that's not the worst we've ever faced. In the similar way, a lot of us in the world are exposed to only the worst stories in Africa. We're not exposed to Doctors Without Borders. We're not working in Africa. We're not exposed to the first world city state networks in Africa. We're not exposed to uh, computers, education, technology, being shared between Africa and uh, the United States and Europe. But at the same time, I don't sugarcoat it. I mean, I, I say there are these things. There's also genocide. There's also this. There's also that. There are a lot of places in Africa that are far, far worse than anything here in the United States. And that's because people have not gotten involved in ways that they probably should. But even then, I don't have the answer for that. I don't have the answer for how to get involved. And I also discuss the myth of colonization that people like to attribute or attach to the Black Panther movie as far as white colonization held Africa down. Well, that's not really true. 
We could have had a Wakanda if white people didn't go into Africa. Uh, that's absolute fucking bullshit. Wakanda is a fictional country with magic fairy dust. That's why Wakanda exists. I mean, that's also like saying, I mean, if, if by that reasoning that Wakanda um, would exist in our real world if white people didn't colonize, well, where the fuck is Tony Stark and Iron Man in the real world? It's fiction. It's fiction with magic fairy dust, superhuman people, super intelligent people. That, I mean, and when I say super intelligent, I mean like genius level of 800. All over the fucking place. And we don't have that in the real world. So, I also talk about culture. To understand a culture, you have to learn about it. Trinkets are window dressing. Trinkets can connect you to a culture if you understand what the trinkets do or what they represent. The trinkets are still trinkets. Knowledge is what connects you to the culture. You know what? For that matter, food also connects you to the culture. So uh, I hope you listen to this podcast uh, knowing my views. Um, I think that Africa as a whole continent has experienced a lot of strife. White people have fucked up a lot of things. But so have the people of Africa who uh, range in color from white to black. And that's over a period of centuries. And the environment contributed to that. But at the same time, you have huge, you have dozens of countries that are incredible, that are advanced as ours where there isn't genocide, where there isn't warring. Or beautiful, wonderful countries. Magnificent countries. And people don't talk about that either. So what is Africa? Africa is probably um, the best representation of, or, or, hum, of human population on earth. Um, everything from genocide and ethnic cleansing to first world nation is on the continent of Africa. And Africa faces the same problems that other countries in the world face. Destruction of the environment, re religious turmoil, political turmoil, ethnic turmoil, you know, racial turmoil. And when I say racial turmoil, I don't mean white and black. I mean tribe versus tribe. Kind of hard to think about racial turmoil being tribe versus tribe when the person's the same color, doesn't it? Isn't it? Well, that's the reality. It does not make Africa a bad place. It does not make it a, a place you don't want to visit. Uh, it makes Africa a normal human representation, a normal representation of humanity for all of the goods and evils that humanity may possess. I can't think of any other con. Well, uh, China is another example of a representation of all of the evils and goods that humanity has to has to present. Uh, India is pretty close, 
And uh, the U.S. does not have all the evils that humanity has to present, but the U.S. has some pretty serious evils. So um, my podcast is not to put one country over another. It's not to disparage Africa. It's to give a short cliff notes on the history of Africa and to confront some stupid fucking idiotic things people are saying. Um, <laughs> that just drive me nuts. I think Africa is a place that I would absolutely love to visit uh, a number of countries. You know, I would love to visit a number of countries in Africa. Um, countries where there isn't a, a fucking ISIS trying to barge through murdering everybody, right? Thankfully, only a few countries are being afflicted by uh, warfare out there in Africa. Um, I really wish that something can be decided upon in the UN in how to enter Africa without seeing, without being uh, viewed as conquerors, uh, colonists, colonizers, or white people just wanting to murder black people. Uh, there are a lot of good things that have been happening in Africa, especially with preventing poaching. Uh, you know, when I get a lot of my information from Africa by following uh, wildlife preserve information in Africa. And, you know, so I don't know everything about the politics of all the countries. In fact, I only, only have a Cliff Notes view. Um, but uh, I, I don't like the idea of a fairy tale land that a lot of people have concocted. I don't like the idea of fairy tale lands for any country in the world. There is no country out there that's a fairy tale place to live. Not even the US. In fact, the US is definitely not the best place to live in the world. Uh, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm comparing countries here in that respect. And I don't want people to think that I'm disparaging America, Africa. Uh, or America, for that matter. And, you know, there is a comparison that I make. And I already I, I made it in this thing again. But I'm going to make it again. A lot of people have a demented view of villages. Whether it's in Africa, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in Ireland, whether it's in the U.S. You know, small towns in the U.S. A lot of people have very demented views, uh, very elitist views. I mean, look at how many... Uh, TV shows and movies there are about how small towns have murderers in them. Look at the Wicker Man, right? Small community must be crazy. African villages, a lot of African villages, may seem second world because of maybe there's a, a limited electricity, um, Maybe there's limited uh, plumbing. But guess what? That's true for a lot of white villages. I would, I would presume to say equal number around the world. You know, uh, uh, one, of my, one of my British friends, she lived in a, she grew up in a place where there was one bathroom that you had to walk to outside of the building. It was a shared bathroom with a, with a number of other buildings. In other words, basically, it was an outhouse. And that was in Britain, a first world country here. 
A lot of people like living in small villages. That doesn't mean they're ignorant of first world living. It also doesn't mean they don't have computers or cell phones or anything like that. I've seen recently, I've seen a lot of doc of documentaries of Africa. Uh, well, maybe not a lot, but I mean, quite a, a couple and read quite a few things. There are plenty of villages in Africa that have enough electricity or have been invested in with programs for computers, cell phones, just for contact with the outside world for a lot of education. And it's, it's like a small town here. In the U.S. In fact, there are reservations here, reservation conglomerates here that are in worse shape than a lot of villages in Africa, which is bad for us because we should not have, we should not be punishing American Indians like that. Uh, and, and it's, it's all result of a congressional, I, I mentioned it later on, congressional mandate, um, that all the Indian tribes have to get together and agree on something, which is, I mean, Congress did it to fuck over the American Indians. Uh, so we have a lot more, we have a lot of problems. Some of them are worse than Africa's. Africa also has problems that are worse than ours, but that's because... It's a country with humans in it. And it, as I said earlier, it represents the best and the worst of us. The entire, the entire continent, I say country, uh, the continent of Africa. Um, I feel stupid saying country, pulled a Sarah Palin. Uh, the continent of Africa represents the best and worst of all of humanity. And um, given its size, given its environmental issues, it makes sense. That doesn't mean it's a bad place to go. It's a beautiful place. A lot of places are very beautiful. Obviously not the places where they're, where they're tribes murdering each other. Um, <laughs> but contrary to what you might read in the news, it's not that big of a part. It's a very, very small part of Africa where that shit is happening. Very, very small areas where that's happening. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's good. It's terrible. And I think we need to do something about it. But the whole of Africa is so much more. The history of Africa is so much more than what people understand. So, um, I've gone on far too long. This is supposed to be a prelude or preface to the rest of the episode. Please listen to the rest of the episode. Um, I give a, a very basic Cliff Notes version of African history. I confront some myths about Africa, uh, which are just fucking stupid. Like the white man is the one responsible for destroying it. Yeah, no, that's bullshit. Uh, don't repeat that in front of me. It means that you've never opened a fucking book about Africa. Uh, you know, in a lot of in a lot of places, white colonization was symbiotic. Uh, like I mentioned, the Roman colon colonization of Africa. In a lot of areas, it was very symbiotic and extremely beneficial. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't mention that there's good colonization and bad colonization. Uh, good colonization is often referred to simply as immigration. Um, but that's not entirely true. You know, it's a misnomer. Colonization is where you bring technology and you come in and set up shop. And symbiotic colonization is where you and the pe local people work together to build a society. Oppressive colonization is where you work in and you turn the local people into slaves. Um, Romans did a little bit of both, to tell the truth. Of course, Roman ensl Romans enslaved everybody, especially white people. First people Romans enslaved were white people. Uh, but it was a different, different form of enslavement. Anyway, my point is there's a lot of symbiotic colonization that happened in Africa in addition to oppressive colonization. Um, oppressive colonization mostly occurred during the Dutch and British invasions of the 1800s. Anyway, I, I'm just, uh, I should shut up now. Uh, I'm repeating what I said in the thing. My point is, Africa is both a beautiful and a deadly place, depending on where you go. And people need to learn more about it, especially in the U.S. And uh, sometimes I find it really funny that me, as a stupid white boy, knows more about Africa than um, some African-Americans uh, that I see on TV. It's like, I only know the Cliff Notes version and you're spewing bullshit. And I can tell it. Uh, but other times, you know, I meet people who know a lot more. Like my friend Rod. Uh, hi, Rod, if you're listening to this. Uh, like my friend Rod, who served over there for several years in the Army. And he still keeps up with it. Or, um, or my other friend. I'll keep his name uh, anonymous. Who married, uh, his wife came from Nigeria. He knows a lot about Africa. I mean, he educated me on some things. Um, anyway, so keep an open mind about this podcast. Uh, please know that I am talking specifically about um, certain myths. And in no way am I disparaging Africa. Um, I'd love to go there someday. It'd be really fun. You know? I'd love to go to a lot of places someday. Uh, China, Africa, um, Chile. A lot of places I'd love to go. Japan. Um, Philippines. I'd love to visit there. So anyway, you guys take care. Love you lots. Have fun. So, um, this is going to go on my what the fuck is wrong with you people uh, episode of of the podcast. Not really a review episode, but um, it's inspired by a Black Panther movie and a Static Shock cartoon. So in terms of, this, of both of them, there are a couple of important points I'd like to make. One point is both productions are incredibly important for a number of reasons. In the Black Panther, you have a fictitious culture of Wakanda with strong role models, strong heroes. Fallible, they have faults. Um, 
but they're always positive, and they're not white. Oh, wow, what a revelation. Uh, you know, growing up, I always loved, uh, you know, there's a funny story with this. Uh, well, I mean, a, a messed up story, uh, you know, between with the Super Friends, Black Vulcan and Black Lightning. They're actually supposed to be the same character. You know, Black Lightning's, Lightning's in the comics. There's a rights dispute. Well, growing up, you know, uh, thanks to a lot of hippies, <laughs> hippies I usually yell at, uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, diverse shows. And I, I think that a lot of people my age were lucky growing up um, to some degree uh, in so far as to see a lot of diversity on television. You know, Black Lightning was slash Black Vulcan. They were really cool characters. I loved them. And I loved the idea that there were characters with other skin colors. You know, this is before I really understood race. I mean, you know, I'm six, seven years old. Uh, when people are, uh, I've had some kids harassing me for being Italian stuff. I just, like, well, so. You know, um, but I, I like seeing all these different heroes, right? I like the idea that they were more than just stereotypes. And this was before I even really understood the word stereotype, right? But I knew that they were different. I knew that uh, there were some, um, you know, not white heroes who act like Spider-Man or Batman. You know, Black Panther, I always thought of him as like uh, a happy Batman. You know, I mean, this was before Black Panther got grim. The original Black Panther... Like in the comics, uh, he was he was joking all the time. <laughs> um, well, maybe not all the time, but uh, at least a couple of comics I have. He was he was a fun character. Uh, so I always loved the idea uh, of difference. I guess is what I should say. Oh, he's different. Oh, cool. I like him. Oh, cool. I like his attitude. That's me when I'm a kid. You know, oh, he's the same. Oh, I like his attitude. Oh, they're, they're kind of the same. You know? And, uh, you know, it is really positive. Positive for a lot of people. Obviously positive for those, you know, if you have a black superhero. Obviously, it's extremely important. Extremely positive for people who are black, right? Uh, but it's also important for people who aren't black, you know, in, in a number of ways, uh, you know, just culturally speaking for America. You know, you're introduced to a lot of different things. And, uh, of course, there's also Star Trek. Uh, extremely diverse, 1966, Uhura, technically fourth in line to command the Enterprise, um, the off-screen reason why she never did was because NBC, being fearful of, of Southern markets not carrying the show, the on-screen reason being she's in control of the ship's communications. Uh, a lot of people call her a telephone operator, which is absolutely disgusting. Uh, anybody who knows Star Trek knows, or anybody who's worked on a military vessel, communications is a huge fucking deal. 
She was relaying the captain's orders. The captain rarely spoke his orders to the crew. She was giving the orders. She was organizing the, the rescue team. She was organizing what to do here, 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 and here, and here. It's not a telephone operator. That's a, that's a sub-commander to a commander on a vessel. Or I say commander. <laughs> I always get confused. Uh, but basically, she was a commanding officer keeping everything organized. Spock was the commanding officer keeping all of the science and readings organized. Well, and to some effect, so was Sulu. Sulu was also a science officer. Very few people realize that. He was a science officer and a helmsman. Scotty was keeping all the engineering organized. You know, so everybody had their thing. And Uhura was probably, well, at least as important as Spock, maybe a little bit more, because she was making sure that the ship wouldn't boom you know, just fall apart from people not knowing where to go. Um, and which means that she had to know all the logistics of the running of that vessel. Uh, and that's why Uhura was um, chosen by, you know, or Michelle Nichols was asked by NASA to speak for the space program, for science. And that's why her presence basically got women, especially women of color, into the sciences, um, more so than they were. You know, she gave a huge boost. Uh, Uhura and Michelle Nichols, probably the most important people, same person, more or less, you know, one's a fictitious character, the other's an actress. Most, was, she has had such a profound impact. And there's an award going on for her, profound impact on our society. And that all comes from Gene Roddenberry and, at one point, Martin Luther King Jr. You know, if, if you don't know Martin Luther King Jr.'s conversation with Michelle Nichols, look it up. Gene Roddenberry, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Gene L. Kuhn, um, fighting for diversity on a show where Nichelle Nichols really didn't have too much to say in her script. But everyone who knew about military procedure, everyone who watched the show who didn't, who were young, it affected them. It affected white people, affected black, African Americans. Um, it affected, uh, or as uh, term appropriate for that era, you know, I keep, I remind people of this to push away the fiction surrounding this word. The term appropriate name for that era was Negro, not black. It comes from Spanish for black, but it was, it, Negro did not mean the N-word. You know, I keep having to remind people this. It, it did not mean that. It was the uh, formal name that a lot of civil rights people used from Bob Moses to Martin Luther King Jr. to uh, Malcolm X. Um, it was the formal term. African American wasn't really developed until the, you know, the late 60s and, and 70s is when it really came into prominence. Um, black was the no-no word. Now it's flipped, right? 
black is the preferred term over Negro because a lot of people feel um, incorrectly, I believe, but you can't, you know, feelings are feelings. You can't control feelings. That Negro did not mean, you know, it meant something disparaging when it really didn't back then. Um, uh, I've done a lot of reports and a lot of research, especially for my novel. I mean, this is the only reason why I'm saying this is I'm trying to relay knowledge. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody or, you know, anything like that. And here I am babbling. So the, I'm talking about diversity here. I'm talking about how things change. I'm talking about Michelle Nichols becoming a powerful force and influence out of diversity. Black Lightning, the, the current TV show. I hate the second and third season. First and fourth, first is really good. Fourth is okay. Um, but that's still a very important show. I mean, it's a CW show. And second and third seasons are always shit on CW shows. But it was a very important show. Very positive character. You know? Without Black Falcon and the rights dispute, you want to have Black Lightning. Without Black Panther and his relatively boisterous, uh, positive attitude in the comics, uh, you want to have a somewhat, you know, more serious and more powerful Black Panther image today. Especially by the wonderful Chadwick. And yeah, it does, you know... Believe it, believe it or not, you know, seeing the tribute, I can't even watch a tribute to him, makes me cry like a little baby. Wonderful actor, wonderful person. Uh, you also have Creed. So anyway, I'm talking about all these wonderful influences. Um, I'm focusing on the black and African uh, American communities here. Well, there is something that does kind of bother me. And that is how... Some people don't understand the influences, and so they say things that are really kind of detrimental to the purpose of the production. Um, now, I want to stress, in neither the movie The Black Panther nor in Static Shock episode Static in Africa... Do they actually say these things in the episodes? In fact, the productions actually say the opposite. But people don't listen or pay attention to what they're saying. Um, now, let's start off with static, because it's a short one. Uh, as If you have not read my review, or not I said read, I used to write reviews on my little Facebook site. Um, if you have not listened to my review on this podcast for static two and a half minutes uh, with like a 30 second ad. Um, I love static. He He's like the positive Spider-Man. Tom Holland's Spider-Man is static. You basically. Yeah. I, I loved it when I watched it. I, I can't say when I'm growing up, I was like 18 or 19 when it came on the air. Oh, wait, no, maybe I was like 16. God, when did it come on the air? Anyway, the point is, I, I loved it. I watched it all the time. One of the few WB cartoons I'd watch are Pinky and the Brain and uh, Static Shock. Loved them. Uh, in fact, he kind of inspired me in how I wrote John Rocket. So, uh, 
static sister, virtual sister, you know, virtual static, um, she goes out and just buys trinkets. And virtual mocks are saying, God, you're bringing all of Africa back with us. She says, it's culture. Virgil actually has the appropriate opinion because he's the one uh, who he gets a lot of information from Africa, uh, from his dad and from um, uh, Anansi, uh, which is the superhero based off of the spider god, right? Uh, there in Africa, in the static universe. He's the one who actually is getting the culture. And let me say, this isn't specific to like African American or, or Italian or, or anything else. I'm not being specific about any one culture. I've just put it in the same podcast as what I say about that. But, um, I mean, as, as what I'm going to say about the Black Panther. Um, in general, culture is knowledge and connection. Tourist items, little trinkets you buy at the store, that's not culture. It may be a representation of culture. It may remind you of a culture, but it's all window dressing. You know, um, having said that, it's important to have trinkets or window dressing if you have some sort of connection to what they are relation, you know, what they relate to. In the conversation between Virgil and his sister, his sister so wants to be connected to African culture, but she ignores her dad. So all she does is buy items. It really gives you a sense in the episode, especially Virgil's reaction to her, that she doesn't really know the culture of the items that she's buying. And I've seen this a lot with my own friends. Oh, I love this. Isn't this wonderful? It's Chinese. Okay, do you know what it means? Dead space. Well, it's it's a rep it's like the artwork from China. Okay. That's not really culture. It's window dressing. Beautiful window dressing, usually. Sometimes it's tacky. Um, but there's no connection there. Of course, I may be a little bit hard on Virgil's sister because we really don't see much of her in the episode. And she does go walking around with her dad uh, looking at things. Uh, so maybe she does develop uh, some sort of connection and she is buying items. But if you don't truly understand what you're buying, you're not being connected. And I want to say, oh, they also kind of mention food in there. Uh, the guy introduces a classical African dish. Virgil politely turns it down, you know, which is understandable. Uh, sometimes it takes a little, especially when you're traveling, you kind of want to eat something closer to home. And while he is loving Africa and the idea of not feeling like a black kid, but just like a regular kid, as he says to Richie, he's, his home is still in America. So it's understandable. A lot of people won't try foreign food when they go on vacation uh, on their first day or their second day 
because they are a little homesick and they want to have a burger. They want to go to McDonald's. They want to have something like that. But, you know, you stay for a little bit. You wind up having a taste of the thing, uh, of, of the place. But that's one of the reasons why I love food so much. Because with food and the ingredients used in food, you get a taste of and a visual representation of all of the trade and all of the history of that place in that food. If you think about it and if you examine it. And, and in a lot of ways, food proves that humanity is connected. Uh, they also talk about Pan-Africanism in the Static Shock episode, which is a, a wonderful goal. But it's also kind of like a sad fantasy. And... The reason why I say it's a sad fantasy is because of the brutality of a lot of very horrible regimes that existed in Africa long before the white colonizers, you know, quote unquote white colonizers, came to the continent. And those issues go on till today, long after the white people white colonizers left, you have some pretty horrible, um, horrible, brutal people with racism from one tribe to another that has lasted for centuries. And I like the idea that they promote the positive view of all people in Africa being one people. But that's not a reality. And Pan-Africanism is, in many ways, very detrimental to understanding the cultures in Africa. It's one of those fairy tales where it's clearly a, a double-edged sword on one hand, it provides hope. On the other hand, it denies holocausts that are going on till today. Brutal holocausts that we don't see on the news. You know, people talk about Rwanda. That's one of, of hundreds that have gone on in the last couple hundred years. And they are holocausts. They're racially driven holocaust, belief-driven holocaust. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. My point here is not, black people are violent. Because whenever people bring up Rwanda, whenever conservatives do, that's their argument. My argument is, Africa needs something more than just pan-Africanism as a theory or a fairy tale. And um, 
It's my fear that the theory of Pan-Africanism has contributed to European powers refusing to try to assist African countries. It truly is my fear because I think a lot of white people, when they hear Pan-Africanism, one country, one people, oh, see, they're all the same people over there. There's nothing going on. Then again, we have tried to get involved in some conflicts over there. And what do we have? We have protests saying that we're going over there to kill brown people. And or we really have fuck-ups, severe fuck-ups, like Black Hawk Down or, you know, and, and, and the whole Somalia fuck-up in the, um, you know, before Rwanda. I don't know what the solution is, but I do know that what's going on right now is not working. In fact, I don't think I've heard of Pan-Africanism for the last 15 or 20 years. And, and I think that's because people realized how, that it's a fairy tale, that it's a fucking lie. Um, so a lot of people don't know what's going on in Africa, even today. Even my African-American friends, uh, my black American friends, white American friends, any Asian-American friends, it doesn't fucking matter. I don't think, I, I think I have one friend who actually served in Africa. He's white. He knows what's going on over there. Because he's ex-military and he had to learn the cultures over there. And every once in a while he checks up on the news. One white friend. Um, I take it back. I do have an African American friend who does keep in touch. Because his wife come, came from over from Nigeria. I haven't talked to him in a while though. Mostly because I haven't talked to anybody on Facebook. Uh, so I have two friends. Who know what's going on in Africa. And... Uh, I I have often turned off the news because my heart breaks half the time when I look up African news. Granted, news agencies preach death and destruction. Even here, I can't watch the fucking news uh, more than twice a week. You know, I, I try. I read the news on the Associated Press. You know, uh, feats on Yahoo, and that's about as far as I can get. Um. So, I mean, it, this is a subject where I have no answer. This is a subject where I can't ask what the fuck is wrong with you people because it's like humanity. What the fuck is wrong with humanity? And white people have had their share of brutal, brutal conquest over other white people. Unfortunately, it feels like Africa, when it entered that stage... Centuries ago, it never left. And that brings me to the Black Panther. The Black Panther movie clearly opens up talking about the violent, brutal, um, 
post-Egyptian, post-Sheba, um, imperial, you know, uh, entities, because you know, the Egyptian empire lasted quite a while, lasted into the modern era, modern era being post-BC, right? So, um, common is, is so into the CE era, the Egyptian empire, like the, I, I can't remember which phase, different people call, you know, and I say Egyptian, I know it's supposed to be called Kemet, uh, but uh, the Egyptian empire uh, went through multiple collapses and revitalizations. I can't remember when the pharaonic period ended, but it was well into the CE, common era. Uh, calendar. Shortly, it, you know, there were warring periods throughout all of Africa, and it all has to do with resources. All of it. Every single major war, every single major genocide, every single major holocaust, every single major conflict in Africa dealt with resources. And that's because Africa has a giant fucking desert right in the middle. It didn't used to be that big. You know, and humans, white, black, Asian, um, uh, American Indian, all have had their, you know, Polynesian, whatever, South American, uh, everybody, all have had their periods of environmental destruction. It only takes one human administration bent on pillaging the land to cause irreparable damage for several hundred years. Now, granted, Africa, you know, the, the Sahara Desert, had a lot of help from environmental factors. But even then, even with the warming of the atmosphere over since uh over the last um you know 10,000 years there were human kings queens um you know and uh other forms of administration and government that raped and pillaged the land and there's even evidence that the first kingdom of Egypt fell because it raped and pillaged so much of the resources that there were none left. I mean, people literally moved out of the upper and lower kingdoms of Egypt. Uh, the Sphinx was rediscovered because people had left. And thankfully, the Nile River revitalized itself as it went through uh you know the upper uh lower uh, kingdoms of egypt went through multi several periods of total annihilation in terms of environmental factors and the nile managed to restore it the sahara had no such benefit so when it the world started warming up and people were stripping it of its resources it fell further and further into ruin until becoming a, a, a paradise of heat and death, essentially. Now, obviously, 
there are a lot of very beautiful countries and a lot of very stable countries in Africa. Africa's a huge fucking country. And sometimes I'll tease my friends by saying, okay, I'll sell you some beef, beachfront property and, you know, get, get my country out. Um, a country they wouldn't know about. And uh, they say, what do you mean? I'm told the truth here. I said, yeah, look at this beachfront property. You know, I do it just to fuck with people's minds. Like, this country is a very beautiful and advanced country. It is first, essentially first world country. You know, there are plenty of first world countries. Um, in some instances, it's like first world. Most of it's first world. Then you have a lot of rural, which count as second and third world. So the Black Panther begins by talking about essentially, you know, with all that background I gave you, uh, essentially the feudal era of people warring in Africa. Which is, you know, I don't know if they say thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. But uh, basically it's, uh, you know, Africa in turmoil. Then they talk about how a meteorite fell and the resources from the meteorite bonded these five tribes together. Even though one tribe kind of separated itself, you know, the Jabari. So the meteorite are the resources that revitalized the land. They specifically, the beginning of the fucking movie, talk about that. The vibranium saved those five tribes that were in brutal feudal combat because of resources. And what do we have all these fucking idiotic, dumb motherfucker, stupid reviewers say? Wakanda shows us what it's like if white people hadn't colonized Africa. Wakanda formed before white colonization because of a massive source of resources. Period. Had nothing to do with white colonization. It just, they completely ignored the concept of resources and society. Completely fucking ignored it. Now let's talk about white colonization. White colonization began before the Roman Empire even existed. And I know a lot of people try and say white colonization began with the Dutch. It's fucking bullshit. For a number of historical reasons. White colonization began before the Roman Empire. And a lot of that white colonization um, wasn't really controlling cities, although there were a lot of white cities, you know, within the first 200, 300 miles of the, of the Mediterranean minimum. And a lot of them moved further down thanks to the trade with Egypt. Greeks traded with Egypt, supposedly white people, right? Traded with Egypt. So you get a lot of black 
uh, you know, you get a lot of African and black people who are part of the Grecian uh, city-state, uh, you know, and especially Santorini. And you also have that moving up into Italy, uh, you know, Sicily, and then up into Italy. And then you have the Roman Empire, you have the Phoenicians, you have Turkey, you have huge amount of trade, you have white cities, you have mixed cities, you have black cities in Africa, uh, all over the place, all over the Mediterranean, and you've got light-colored Africans moving deep into Africa because of intermixing between white and black. There is no such thing. Well, no, there are a couple of things. I'm sorry. There are very few examples in this world of isolated cultures. And Africa, black Africa specifically, um, is not one of them. Even when you go deep into Central Africa, you will have people with ancestors that go up into uh, quote, unquote, white lands like Italy. Hell, there, there appears, you know, one of the things about Rome, and I've tried to explain this to a number of people, Italians, especially Romans, did not really record color of skin or race as we know it today. Romans were Romans. And it's only through recent archaeological research, especially into a lot of frescoes and a lot of tile making, that we have discovered that there may have been like four or five black Caesars. See, they may refer to a person's birth of origin, but they won't refer to, they didn't really refer to skin color. Um, you know, Romans had a weird sense of exclusion and inclusion. It wasn't racism as we know it today. Uh, for instance, Romans were incredibly racist against the Phoenicians. Well, actually, that was a revenge thing. Uh, they were incredibly, so it was more revenge against Phoenicians. Uh, but it was, they were incredibly racist against the Visigoths and the Greeks. Racist. Same color of skin. Much like the Holocaust that have, that have been and continue to go on in Africa today. Serious racism. Same color of skin. And it's not, you also have religious ethnic cleansing, which is a little bit different than racism. And that's the same with the Romans. And that's also what's described at the beginning of the Black Panther. Because that actually happened in Africa only without the vibranium in the real world. Wakanda, the fictitious land of Wakanda, and the war between the five tribes was ended and Wakanda was created because of resources. Had nothing to do with white colonizers. Wakanda thrived before white colonization.
and then Wakanda hid during the white colonization. That's the history of Wakanda. Wakanda was already technologically and and, and socially advanced way beyond the quote-unquote white colonizers before the white colonizers came in. And yet we have people still saying, Wakanda shows what it's like if white colonizers hadn't have invaded Africa. Well, that's total fucking bullshit. That's not the reality that's portrayed. And if the director said that, he's a fucking idiot. He didn't read his own material. I'm pretty sure he didn't say that. He just kind of nodded his head and smiled when people started talking about white colonization. He says, well, that's why I put colonizer in there as a as an insult. And, no, dude, that's not why. You put it in there because it's in the motherfucking comics. Um... <laughs> You know, it's kind of like the director of um, Captain Marvel saying, it's a feminist piece of women against patriarchy. Uh, actually, I don't think the director said that. Someone else said that associated with the production. Might have just been a producer. It's like, no. No, Captain Marvel's about the Israeli-Palestinian apartheid. <laughs> There's very little uh, feminism in there. Maybe five minutes total. But the Israeli-Palestinian apartheid is from minute one, or, well, minute ten, to the final minute of whatever is uh, two, or, two hours and 25 minutes uh, of, the, uh, of the movie. All right. To minute, you know, minute end. Sometimes I think movie people don't even know their own material when they produce it. Anyway, so... What's the issue with white colonizers? White colonizers, you know, throughout centuries, they would come in, but they were, it was symbiotic colonization, bringing us beautiful places like Morocco, um, uh, you know, even modern Egypt, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, Saudi Arabia, look how light-skinned those people are. That comes from a lot of white colonization, symbiotic colonization, right? Uh, it, I mean, in colonization from a lot of people. Going to Saudi Arabia, you're going to see skin color of varying degrees. And you also have a lot of white slaves that were brought into Africa. Don't forget, Romans and Greeks enslaved equal opportunity. They were equal opportunity enslavers. And slaves were often taken from combat, traded and sold, uh, iron and shackle. Some slaves willfully entered uh, slavery in what we would now des describe as work for higher contracts. They are literally ancient, you know, forms of ancient slavery described as slavery in the ancient world. We now call work for hire or employment contracts. Um, although it's a little bit, some, you know, there are some minor differences. <laughs> but as I said before, when people refer to white colonization, they only think of the Dutch and the English. The Dutch moved in because of the genocidal warfare going on in Africa, and they figured out a way to take advantage of it. That's what the Dutch did. 
The genocidal warfare was going on long before the brutal white conquest of Africa. Centuries of genocidal warfare, but only in certain countries. There are plenty of countries where there was none of that. And then there was the British who wanted to develop the, the trade and they brutally conquered the tip of South uh, Africa, specifically so they could conduct trade with the East India Trade Company through up through the uh, Indian Ocean. Were, how were they able to do that? Brutal wars between the different African tribes. No matter how powerful a colonist force may be, defenders of a land have a 10 to 1 advantage. For every one person in that land, they can take on 10 colonizers. Now, when you're talking about pre-industrial cultures and you have asymmetrical combat, Obviously, those numbers start to skew in favor of those coming in. But as we have seen before, no matter how many fucking guns you have, if the people you are attacking are well organized, it's a brutal fight to the finish. And very rarely do the attackers win. And a lot of people don't want to believe that because a lot of people don't know military history. And all I have to say to you is look up all of our failed wars, like our failed invasion of the Philippines. Philippines did not have much. We marched into the Philippines to try and brutally take it over and we were crushed. We had all the technological advantages that, you know, in terms of, of asymmetrical warfare, we were the top of the game when we invaded the Philippines, just like the British were top of the game when they invaded South Africa. We failed because the Philippines, pardon me, the Philippines, the Filipinos were organized. They were together. The British won because those African tribes were fighting brutal fucking wars. And it's important to remember that. This is not an excuse for white people invading and colonizing. This is not blaming black people for being violent. This is historical warfare knowledge and I'm emphasizing this because I am so fucking sick of hearing people lie about history for a racial uh, perspective you don't need to lie about whether or not the South African people were organized when facing the Dutch or the British in order to say that the Dutch and the British were f f 
unbelievably violent and cruel. You don't need to make excuses to emphasize a point. This is what I've always said. And I've always said that telling the truth, the history and the truth of history is dirty. You very rarely have good guys versus bad guys. The Aztec Empire, when it faced the Spanish conquistadors, were not good guys. They were not victims. They entered into a war. Actually, they were tricked into a war. A funny story. They recently discovered that uh, Cortez was given false translations by the tribal girl who had, you know, the tribe that met the Spanish. She gave them false translations in order to spark a war between him and Montezuma. Uh, because the Aztecs brutally raped, murdered, and beat her tribe just a few weeks before the Spanish arrived. And they had been doing it for centuries. Because it was a brutal, vulgar empire. So she made a decision to trade one brutal, vulgar empire for another out of revenge. And uh, believe it or not, her tribe actually worked with the Spanish. I don't know the details. I'm sure that the Spanish were still brutal. I mean, they were in the middle of the Spanish Inquisition which is the worst, one of the worst genocides in history, by the way. It goes beyond World War II. It goes beyond uh, um, communism. 300 years of brutality and torture over religion. That's the Spanish Inquisition. Nazis can't even compare to that. The Russian communists can't even compare to that. You can't group up, if you grouped up all the deaths from Russia, not, uh, from Stalinism, Leninism, Maoism, and Nazism, you would not come up with the numbers that the Spanish Inquisition came up with in terms of death and brutality. You wouldn't. Anyone who says otherwise is a, is a liar. So anyway, that's my point. You also had the, some of these tribes who were engaged in brutal, vulgar warfare. They were not organized. The British came in, basically wiped them out, subjugated them. You had, uh, what was it? Less than 10% of the population was white British, and they conquered the entirety of South America. That's due to a lack of organization. You, same thing with the Dutch. But you notice the other African colonies? I, mean, I say colonies. I'm wrong. The other African um, countries that weren't conquered? Do you know how big Africa was? The British and the Dutch didn't conquer all of Africa. There are dozens of countries that resisted colonization. Dozens. And that's because the tribes in those countries were organized, 
They had a solid government. And they fought them off. British claim that they conquered Africa is a false claim. The Dutch claim that they conquered Africa is a false claim. And um, that's the real truth of African history, you know. Now, just to make sure everybody's clear here, I'm talking about Africa not because I'm disparaging Africans, black Africans, white Africans, mixed Africans, tan Africans, brown Africans. I'm talking about Africa because people, I mean, it, this is just a minor knowledge of Africa that I have. And I'm running across people in the media who don't even have that knowledge. Jesus Christ, the, what I just told you people is maybe three chapters on the history of the book, uh, you know, on a Cliff Notes history book of Africa, maybe three fucking chapters. I'm, I'm not telling you about all the wonderful advances, uh, the first world uh, cities in Africa. You know, I might as well call them city-states. There, there are countries where the advanced first world powerful monetarily, industrially powerful cities in Africa, city networks combined with very rural, I can never pronounce that word, rural, 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 uh, whatever it is, places in Africa that are third world. A lot of people think of Africa as a third world continent. That is a fucking lie. Uh, you can argue that there are some places here in the U.S. that are third world, especially American Indian reservations. And that's something that we should be embarrassed about. There's a congressional issue about that I won't go into here. Um, I mentioned it before, but, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I won't go into it now. Africa is not a country. It is a continent with a lot of countries in it. And a lot of those countries have varying degrees of advancement within their own borders. And sometimes, you know, I mean, even here, a lot of people like their small towns. In Africa, there are a lot of people and tribes that mm, technology is nice, but we like our small village. And that's not to say that the villagers don't go out and they're not exposed to the first world. That's a lot of bullshit, too. You know, and that's also true for other places around the world. Oh, I like my village. Well, what about computers? Oh, yeah, no, I've got a computer that operates on the sun. You know, sunlight, sun charge. You know, there are also a lot of good things that a lot of white people have done for, for Africa. It doesn't make up for the bad things. But there's also the issue of how much responsibility do we hold for what our ancestors did. We have no control for what our ancestors did. That's for every skin color in the world. But thankfully, 
a lot of white people, a lot of rich white people whose ancestors did get rich off of Africa, have gone into Africa to try and undo the damage that they caused, to try and bring advancement. And yes, they have done a lot of good. Thank God, right? There's some people out there with personal responsibility. And then there are a lot of white people out there whose ancestors had nothing to do with Africa. They've gone into Africa and tried to do a lot of things. And then there are people like Oprah go in there to try and build some schools. Uh, I know there's a controversy over that. But, I mean, the point is, and there, there are a lot of volunteers who go over there, Doctors Without Borders. And Africa does have its... And do you know why we're able to do that? Do you know why a lot of places in Africa are able to receive aid? Because a lot of places in Africa have launching points that are as advanced as London or New York. And a lot of people don't fucking know that. And I almost feel embarrassed having to explain that. And then I see stupid shit talking about uh, the Black Panther movie saying, this is what happens when colonists, colonists don't go in. No, no, no. This is what happens when you have resources. When you have, uh, when you're able to have a sustained society without resource um, collapse. And you're able to support everybody within your country. That's what happens. And it's also what happens when you have a mystical element called vibranium that's just magic dust. Okay? Vibranium is fucking magic dust. It's fairy dust. So no shit Wakanda's more advanced. It has nothing to do with colonization. It has to do with fairy dust. Jesus Christ. So, that's my rant. It's an hour-long rant about people not knowing shit about the history of Africa. Africa, what do you know, is a complex place. It's got people killing people and people working together. Oh my fucking God. That's like any other fucking country in the world. Africa's got a lot of first world city-states. I might as well call them city-states. And city networks. And a few first world countries. Africa's a big fucking place. It's been facing warfare, strife, and resource mismanagement and lack of resources for hundreds of years. It's got the largest desert in the world, I believe. I still think it's larger than the Gobi because the Gobi isn't necessarily a true desert. Um, so Africa has environmental problems that a lot of other countries don't have. The U.S. does not have the same environmental problems of Africa. The U.S. does have some of the same problems as Africa, such as people fucking up the land. That is for every single people around the world. I'm not picking on African, black African people here or white African people here. Everybody, humanity 
is fucking up the planet. But in Africa, when humanity fucks up the planet, it's felt a little more thanks to things like the Sahara Desert. That makes Africa uh, a big problem in terms of environmental stability, and we have to help it out. Portions of Africa, not the entire continent, portions of Africa. And yeah, it's it's like in a critical zone because of certain environmental conditions make damage to the environment that much more felt. Brazil is entering a similar period. The government of Brazil is murdering its rainforests and that will fuck us up like you won't believe. Once those rainforests are gone, they aren't coming back. Not without serious management. So when... Uh, Brazilians damage the environment. You know, I've, I've had a couple of Brazilian friends say they've been fighting for the environment. The government of Brazil has been fucking it up. The environmental damage is felt just that much more. In the U.S., we're struggling to get a handle of protecting the environment, but we still have issues like Keystone XL, uh, although it looks like that's been canceled, thank God. And forestation regulation here and water regulation, that are serious problems. And when we fuck that up, it's going to be really felt. So, what is Africa? Africa is a large continent. Dozens of countries inside of it. Some of the countries are still warring today with horrific genocide. Some of them aren't. Some of the country countries are interconnected with first world city-state networks that are bringing uh, that are on the same level as our first world cities. Africa has a lot of villages that don't really want advancement, but that doesn't mean the people are ignorant of the first world uh, nations which is very similar to a lot of small towns here in in America. Africa is a very normal continent that has had some severe environmental damage that has fucked things up, made them, uh, you know, and and caused warring, that made them susceptible to colonization, which is very similar to a lot of other countries in the world. But that's not the whole of the continent of Africa. That's not the whole picture. And the idea that Wakanda only survived because it wasn't colonized is a fucking stupid idea because a lot of the first world countries out uh, and cities out there, very well mixed first world cities in Africa, did face colonization, resisted it, but had open trade. 